Welcome to Meet an African Pastor podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast, I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African church. Thank you for listening. Welcome everyone to the podcast. I'm excited today to be with presiding bishop of Pentecostal Assemblies of God, Uganda. His name is Simon Emiao, and we have been friends for a long time, and I'm grateful for time to interview him. And you'll get to hear more about what the church in Uganda is doing, specifically PAG. You'll hear about their ministry. You'll hear, hear about what we can learn from them. We hear, we'll hear about their plans for the future. So, Simon, welcome. Thank We're you. Happy to have you. Can Thank you first uh, introduce yourself? Tell us about your position, your family, where you come from. Awesome. Uh, my name is Simon Peter Emiao. Uh, I come from Teso. I am a born from uh, Kabaramaido, which is the western part of Teso district originally. And um, I am married uh, to Rose. We have uh, five children. And it's a blessing and a pleasure that uh, we gave our lives to the Lord uh, in the early 70s, which was a delight as the gospel was uh, uh, brought to us by several people. There was a big revival at that time. So mm-hmm. we're actually a product of that early revival. Okay. Very good. And what's your? tell us more about your position that you're serving today. Today I serve as the presiding bishop who actually just gives oversight to the entire work of the Pentecostal Assemblies of God in the nation. I oversee um, 24 pastorates, which is, it's like, if you want to call it in the Anglican sect, you'd call it the diocese. Mm -hmm. So they are that big of that big size. So we have 24 of them across the country. And so I provide oversight. I work largely with the bishops that run those uh, 24 pastorates. Okay, now you've mentioned the number of pastorates. How many churches are generally in a, in a pastorate? A pastorate generally has, uh, depends on the, the size and the increase of that. But we have some pastorates that are small, having about 100 churches. Okay. But we also have church pastorates that are having 2,000 churches. Wow. And do you know approximately the number of churches in the whole country for PAG? We we are having um, uh, close to 6,000, but we are 5,000, about 5,800 churches. Okay. Yeah. And do you know roughly the number of members? We are now getting close to 2 million. 2 million. Yeah. Am I right that PAG might be the third biggest denomination in Uganda? Yes, we are the uh, the second evangelical to Anglican, uh-huh. and uh, but if you put in the category of the three major growth, the Catholics, the Anglicans, we are the, the third. Okay, you're right. That's great. Can you give us a little bit of the history of PAG? We don't need to spend an hour on that, but just <laughs> <laughs> briefly, how did PAG Uganda get started, and yeah, how has it grown? Uh, PAG was an offspring of. Uh, uh, some guys from Bali who went to Kenya seeking to find jobs. Mm. And when they got, they met with uh, the preachers of the gospel around Kisumu Mm -hmm. in a place called Nyangori. 
So when they met with these guys, they, they gave their lives to Christ, they were discipled, they felt that that was good news for them. They abandoned their effort to go and look for jobs. They returned back to Uganda and started work in Mbale in a place called Kitsabazi, mm. up on the hills there. And so that's how the work spread. And this was in the early 1950s. Okay. And so the gospel began to spread from Bali and went down to Tororo and then flapped back to Teso. Mm. So that's that's the history of uh, PhD. So it started from those very small beginnings. And then those Canadian missionaries that worked with them in, uh, in nurtured them in Kenya followed them up into Uganda. Mm. And so finally they grew and the work grew to become a big thing. So you had some cooperation with with Canadian missionaries but I think most of the evangelism was done by Ugandan evangelists. Yes, Ugandan evangelists did the work. The Canadian missionaries just provided basic uh, administrative things, guiding them in those areas. But mm -hmm. the enlargement of the church was largely done by local people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. What were their strategies for evangelism when they were going out to different parts of the country? Their first strategy was to reach out into the people they knew, like their relatives. Okay. So that's how they did it first. Because there was very strong persecution at that time against those who were known as Balokole for the very first time. Mm. So these guys had to go on a basis of looking for those who are relatives mm. that would help them. So they came down from the mountain, came to Mbale town, and some of their relatives were in Tororo, some of their relatives were this side of Teso. And um, so that is how they first went. The second thing that they, they found, which was uh, ripe at that time, was the, the uh, Tukutende revival, mm. which had come from Rwanda. So that was also was a, the East African they, revival? what they call the East African okay. revival. But it began from Rwanda mm -hmm. and swept across Uganda. Mm -hmm. Now, a number of those people that had uh, the... Taken, were taken up by that revival. They were ostracized from their Anglican background. Mm. So they were in isolation. Mm. Then they found a few of these Pentecostal you know, guys who had also had this revival coming from Kenya. Mm. So they kind of formed a fellowship. Mm -hmm. So that's part of how PAG grew. So from that small background, they came up and found these guys who were also looking for fellowship. They were, you know, ostracized by their church. So we, they came together. They formed now into something that became stronger. So that was the second strategy that came in. Mm -hmm. The third strategy that they developed, once they formed themselves into some small fellowship, they started now targeting regions and sent their preachers of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that's how the gospel spread more in Teso because it like it hit the soil that was ready for harvest and so most of the preachers now came out from teso mm -hmm. and so people went all over teso they went to north teso they went to sent some to karamoja and from the same teso here we sent people to lango region mm -hmm. and then from some from tororo were sent to acholi region and some were sent into bunyoro so that's how the whole phg mm -hmm. thing began to spread Okay. Yeah, so they were, that was their third strategy, mm -hmm. which worked very well. And today, we can see that PAG is very organized. Was it always like that, or was, it, was there a time where there was more organization of churches and pastorates and bishops? From, the, from day one, what, what 
And that's why we give credit to these Canadian missionaries because they helped us in administration. Mm. How do you handle this growing work? Mm. And like when you think of our challenges, our challenges still work within the same, same area. Yeah. Growth of the work came in and then they started to organize these people. We started immediately with the, the training of these uh, evangelists. Mm -hmm. And so then we trained them on how to organize uh, local churches, how to witness, how to bring those, form a little church, create a fellowship. And when a fellowship has grown to a certain number, we always said 20 would be enough to form a local church at that time. Yeah. And then once the thing becomes 20 members, then a senior leader would be invited to come and constitute that thing mm. as a local church. And then a pastor would be appointed immediately to oversee the church, to grow that church, to nurture that church. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what they would do. And then when we also developed a system, the, what we have an assembly, we call an assembly. Yeah. Our assembly to us is not just an assembly of this big congregation, no, but it's a component with whom the network of branch churches, mm -hmm. like we all, we encourage that there must be six or seven branch churches to form an assembly, and that's where we put in the senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And so the senior pastor works with then with associate pastors mm -hmm. that run those branch churches. So that structure was created to help us, the missionaries helped us to create that structure. And then we started to reshape it and rebuild it to suit the local environment yeah. so that people don't are not cumbersome with things that they are doing. Yeah. And so that's what happened. So one of the things that surprises Americans that I tell is that you have bishops and they think of bishops maybe being something for the Anglican church or so. So maybe tell us when did you first have bishops and what was the, the reasoning? When we started largely, there was uh, this separation. We wanted to be unique mm -hmm. and unique in a sense that we wanted to do something that was simple, that was emulating the simplicity of Christ. Mm -hmm. So we didn't want ourselves to be called bishops, but we had overseers. Mm -hmm. We had, uh, then we had pastors. And then we had uh, these branch pastors, then we had preachers. So those structures came. And as the church began to grow and became big, and also the understanding of the word, we discovered then that the word bishop did not actually mean a unique thing or a person in a uniform, a person in, a mm -hmm. person in some kind of clerical attire. Yeah. It didn't mean that. It simply means an overseer mm -hmm. who would be able to see the work of God in simplicity without, you know, having these, uh, you know, colors or things like that. So the, the, we then later began to, um, adopt the word bishop into our ranks, but it's still, we still maintain that the bishop in the simplicity of a pastor. Yeah. So it's a different understanding of what a yes, bishop is. Yes. It is yeah. different understanding of what a bishop is. To us, the bishop is still the same pastor. It's still the same reverend. Mm -hmm. So it's not somebody who has power over people. Mm -hmm. No, he's more of a pastor, the caretaker, the shepherd, mm -hmm. the one that walks before the sheep. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of bishop we, that's our understanding. Yeah, good. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about how you joined PAG. What attracted you to PAG and how did you get started? In 1970, I... 
I got the in the community where we where we lived. There were two old women that had been converted into this gospel, and I didn't know whether it was called PAG or whatever the name of the church. I only knew that they always came and shared the gospel with me. Mm. When I came back to when I come back from school in the evening, they are there to come and bring the good news to share with me, and you know, like to call me into a new life, you know, and call me into an experience with God. And I was looking at them and wondering, you know, these are two old ladies. Um, how do they understand these things? So that bothered me. I took the interest to read the Bible myself. Mm. I wanted to understand what they wanted. Because first, those ladies did not even know how to read. So they would all, the reason they always came to me every evening I came back from school was to help them read some of the scriptures they wanted mm. to discuss. Okay. So they would come to me, read these scriptures for us. Mm -hmm. I read the scriptures for them. They discussed in my presence. And once they are finished, they would let me go. Mm. But they would always ask me, can you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Mm. So those two ladies have had a big impact on my life. Yeah. Uh, they passed on, they've gone to be with the Lord, but it's a great deal. I'm a product of their ministry, and uh, I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Mm. And that has been an amazing beginning for me. Mm. And um, so then later I learned, where do you go to church? They mm. took me now to this church. Then I discovered it was the Pentecostal Assemblies of God. Okay. Yeah. So that's how I got into the Pentecostal Assembly. So then I was introduced to a pastor who nurtured me, who helped me through the process of my personal life with Jesus Christ and understanding the scriptures, applying those scriptures into my life. And so I began to grow. And then I took interest um, to want to know the Bible better. Mm. And so he introduced me to a Bible school. Okay. And so that's how I started getting back to Bible school now. And I I, Which Bible school was that? I, to Kampala, I went to Kampala, Yusuf Mukasa Memorial Bible School. Okay. And this was now with the Full Gospel Church. That okay. they, they were the ones who ran that Bible school. Mm -hmm. So that was my first exposure in terms of training. Okay. And then after you're trained, what are some of the ministry positions or activities that you've done between then and between where you're serving now? Immediately I got saved. My pastor attached me to the youth ministry. Then then also attached me to children's ministry. So I, I started working with children. Mm -hmm. That's where he helped me every other day, find scriptures, tell stories for pressed biblical stories for little children. And then together with the youth ministry, working with young people, nurturing them to, to come to Christ. At the time we, we got saved, there were not many young people in the saved churches no hmm. they were only old 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 people so you for you to get three four youth in the church it was a miracle hmm. because the youth looked the, the this this gospel uh, in the balocole churches it was looked as for the old sinners people who have done wrong they so you don't go there as a young person what hmm. what have you done which is wrong that you should join such a group that was the perspective at that time and so for you to have young people, it was like a miracle in your church. Mm. But as we gave our lives to Christ, we began to encourage more young people to come into the ministry. 
And so most of the young people came in and they gave their lives to Christ. They joined us. So we built ministry for children. We built ministry for youth. What we had in churches at that time was basically children, the small ones, mm. you know, like from seven years down. Yeah. That's what we had. That was a big, big number. The youth were very few. The children were very many. So that's why my pastor attached him immediately to the children's ministry. Mm -hmm. And that's where I began to grow from and experience that ministry. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Then finally, I went to Bible school. When I went to Bible school, then now I learned to see that there was something bigger that was necessary in my personal life, my personal growth. And if I'm going to be serving in the church, I was introduced to uh, different areas of that could engage as for pastoral work. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I came back after that training, I became a pastor. Mm -hmm. So I went into becoming a pastor and I pastored for some, quite some few years. Which, and then Which I, area of the country? I we pastored here in Teso. Okay. Yeah, I was now here, here in Teso because this was basically our region. We'd go to Kampala for training, come back here to Teso because okay. our leaders believed that when you are trained, you go back to your home church. Mm. And to be your home church, that will be responsible to see your development and your growth. Okay. And it will release you accordingly. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. So we came back here and pastored. Then I found that I needed possibly more training to help me do a bigger work. From a branch church, now you would, would be committed to have an assembly, mm -hmm. which would be six branches or eight branches or ten branches. And in order for you to have this multi, multiple church, it would be a bit, you needed a bit of more experience again. You need someone to coach you, you need someone to train you, you need to kind of have a different perspective on how that works. Mm -hmm. So I had to go back to Bible college. This time then I went to Kenya. Okay. I went to Kenya for a diploma. Okay. And so I was there for three years doing a diploma course in theology and Bible. So that, that, that's part of what I did at that early, early stage. Mm -hmm. So it's been my big experience. So I came back after that. I did more work with young people. I worked with pastors at the same time because now I began to know how to train pastors, how to help. So I took passion on training because mm -hmm. now I discovered people need to be equipped properly. So when I got that, I, I trained the pastors. I worked with my district overseer. And we trained people here in Teso, young youth groups, children groups, but also pastors, pastoral groups. So we did that. Then I thought to myself, I took passion. Now I realized that I had a lot of uh, talent in teaching mm. more than pastoral work. So I got up. I thought to myself, I need to do a bit more training. Mm. So I went back to Nairobi this time. Mm. And I did a BA in Bible and theology. Mm -hmm. And then also... When I came back from there, I was then now designated to go and teach in the Bible College, okay. which was now a big privilege for uh, me because Mbali? I wanted to work in Mbali. Yeah. I wanted now to work with uh, pastors, training pastors, understanding their challenges, mm -hmm. using my own background. But now I got some more information I can share with them. So I spent much of my time training pastors, mm -hmm. which still remains my big passion. Yeah. You know, so I did that. Then I realized again, like there were more things that needed organizational management, administration, some of the things. Mm. So I thought I needed to do a training for that as well. I went back 
uh, to university in Nairobi again and enrolled for a master's in leadership. Mm. So I did that now training. So back when I came back, I now do leadership. Mm -hmm. I now provide the presiding the, the, the leadership for the entire organization, rebuilding the organization, strengthening key administrative roles in the church. So I've been shifting from Sunday school, teaching children, getting to pastors, teaching pastors. From there, I shifted to Bible college, working a lot, large with the entire mm -hmm. church. And then now I head up to the administrative uh, levels. And all of those are so important yes. things to do. Which one has been the most fun for you, the <laughs> most enjoyable? <laughs> I think I enjoy working with pastors. Mm. I, I do enjoy, even even now, even in now in my role as um, um, like the director for the entire ministry, I enjoy working with pastors. Mm -hmm. I love being down there in the local church, seeing what pastors are doing, mm -hmm. hearing their stories and creating, you know, uh, from those stories, lessons that others can lead, can, can use and be able to share those experiences right from north to east and to west and wherever the church is here in Uganda. So I bring lots of uh, different experiences and God has given me that gift, you know, like able to find information easily, manage that information, turn it into when it becomes very productive and useful and share it wherever I go. And it has been very useful for mm -hmm. me. Now, looking back over those many years of faithful ministry, could you share with us two or three specific stories, just some of your favorite memories from your times of ministry where you really saw maybe God work or um, God really grew you in a different area. Like, what are some of your favorite memories of ministry? I have so many, many, many favorite ministries. I, I, one of the things that passionately helped blew my mind is to be able to see pastors grow. Mm. And for me, being at the Bible school was like, that was a thing. And I thought I would never even get out of the Bible school mm. because I thought this is life for me. Mm. Everything grows here so well. Relationship with students, those pastors who had the great experience. Some of them, by the way, had the experiences more than I did. But I enjoyed sitting in class, listening to their stories and to their testimonies. And then visiting those pastors as they go back into their local churches mm -hmm. was a climax for me. Yeah. Because you get back then, you see your classroom teaching, your relational life with the students at the Bible college. Now you see it at work in the local church. And for me, that was a great, great, great pleasure. Seeing the success of those pastors mm -hmm. is one of my greatest highlights. Yeah. Not just about me. It's about seeing how these pastors had been in class, learned from, from class. Now they are successful. The local churches are growing. These guys are being there and they are creative. They are diverse. So for me, that one really is a big highlight for me in my life. Mm -hmm. The second thing that you know, gives me highlight is to see what God can do if people are humble. To the extent that the work begins, God begins to propel people for the larger picture. So I watched to see the organization grow. At the time when I took up the leadership, there was about 1,500 churches. But we've seen those that thing grow to 6,000. That's an amazing growth. Mm -hmm. It is not anything about us. It's about how God comes in. Mm -hmm. And to watch God's hand do this thing is another exciting moment for me. Mm -hmm. It gives you confirmation 
that unsatisfaction in your life that God is in this thing. And if God be in this thing, what a humility, what a humility you have to see God come and enlarge that work. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I see God, you know, in this, that excites me in this ministry is seeing God at the end of the year or at the end of some season, God begins to give you a new focus. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's one of the things that has really, really, really hit me hard. Every time or like in after every five years or 10 years, God gives you a new focus. Move here. And you begin to move there in the perspective of doing. Then when you get there, God begins to do things that are absolutely new. And the work begins to grow. You see the raising up of young people, the raising up of new pastors, and then they're taking pastors from one level to the next level in their understanding of ministry and service. You know, it's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. But at the, at the end of the day, also seeing them finish the work and finish, finish their service and come to that close, it's also an exciting thing. Mm -hmm. So I have watched these scenarios and seen God at work, mm -hmm. which is very beautiful. It is beautiful. So you've already answered a little bit about some of those beautiful things that you've seen and some of the joys of, of ministry. But what are some of the challenges, especially today in, in the leadership position that you have? What are some of the, the challenges in this, in this role that you're in? Anthony, the challenge you have in, in work is how to work with people. Mm. People are unique. Yes. <laughs> Leading people is one of the things I find is really, really complex. Mm. Especially in a Pentecostal circles where everybody feels, I have God. I know God. God is leading me. Because that's what we tell them. Listen from God and let yeah. God guide you. Now, that can be misunderstood to become independence. Yes. And you now you who provides an overall picture to try to guide the ministry to a certain direction can become the target because you are hindering the progress in their personal lives. So how do you sail up? How do you, I, 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 I learned, I learned something new here, which I'll tell you. How do you release people? How far do you release them beyond your, so that you don't control them? Because we don't want to control. But how far do you release if you don't want to control? How far do you release? Because still there is, God says to you, I made you in charge of this. You should be able to account to me because of this. And these people, you know, should be accountable to you and you be accountable to me. And uh, I, yet I have to release these people to function properly, effectively, in the measure that they know I don't become a limit to them. Yeah. So that's been part of uh, my challenge over the years that I have worked. So you develop different styles of leading people. There are those people who will be willing to come to you and, and take advice. There are those who listen to you once and go forever. And so, <laughs> and so you learn to release them. So those, for me, this has, that has been my real challenge. How do I work with people who need this? How far do I release them? So you develop different degrees of releasing people. Mm -hmm. Then the other challenge is there are those who would absolutely feel you are the leader, tell me what to do. You know, so they are totally dependent on you. Mm. And uh, personally, you know, you my, you know my personality. I am not that type of person who likes. I like the other group, 
They create me challenge. They cause me problems. But I enjoy them leading. I enjoy seeing them go. Uh, these guys who sit here and wait for you to tell them what to do, they're very boring. Mm. So I've had two extremes. Yeah. There are these pastors who are saying, ah, the big man has not said it. So I wait <laughs> to hear from him. And then there are those who say, no, I think I knew what he said. Yeah. I even know what he wants to say if he comes here. Mm. So you see the two polarities. So yeah. you run between those and then you run between this one. So it's a big challenge mm -hmm. uh, in, 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 in leadership. Good. Um, thank you for sharing about those. Uh, let's change the topic a bit as we, we've looked at some of the history and some of the um, bits about your your work. But I have a unique question. I'm wondering at your level, you're one of the you know top leaders of the organization, or, I mean the denomination. How much interaction do you have with the government at your level? Because PAG Uganda is very big and uh, if it's the third biggest denomination, I imagine the government cares about what you're doing and maybe they care about your opinion, some of the government leaders. So I'm just curious, uh, do you have much interaction with any government leaders there in Kampala? And how does that, what does it look like? Yeah, we do. Um, there's quite a lot that we do. I participate in many organs that are related possibly to the bigger work. I sit even at the Interreligious Council where I am part of the board that determines. And the Interreligious Council is highly connected to government mm. uh, in a number of things. Uh, the number of things that are resolved in parliament, but uh, the first drafts are given to us to go mm. through them okay. so we can make an input in education, in health, in a number of things. So we, we are really very, very close. And... Um, uh, we've, we also interact uh, with His Excellency and many times we find ourselves in uh, consultative issues, matters concerning the nation and other things. So there's quite a lot. And But as PAG alone, we are also largely involved in a number of things. We do social work. We support lots of initiatives. We respond to uh, emergency issues um, mm -hmm. in areas like Karamoja, we deal with refugees in West Nile, and uh, we are involved in community development in the Western, in Kabale, and different places there. And in Kasese, where there have been floods, so we've been very responsive. And all of those responses work with government. Mm -hmm. So we deal, we go through government, we chat with government, we raise local funds, but also raise funds from overseas to try to mitigate in some of those basic needs that are there. So we do that, and um, and so we participate sometimes in a, a number of raising issues on policies, policies in education, policies in health. Mm -hmm. So we we have a lot of interaction with uh, with government. So we are involved definitely. Do you ever have? Uh, you don't need to mention any names, but do you ever have any government leaders call you on the phone and get advice from yes. the church? Yes, yes, we do, things? we do, we do that. We do a lot. Some of them just come in person mm -hmm. and share what they feel. How can how do we go through this? Mm -hmm. They've consulted us in offices. They've come in person. Some of them have called us on phone. Is it ever difficult for you or other PAG leaders to challenge a, a, a government policy or official? We have raised our positions, and 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 yes, they may have a position in government. But we've done and we've also raised our positions as we feel, as we think. That's, uh, 
this is our conviction about that. And so we put across our po our position uh, in gently in a manner that will help him see that you know we are not we are not critical but we are very creative and proactive in responding to some of those areas that are very challenging. Some denominations I know of, um, maybe in the U.S., uh, have certain leaders appointed by the denomination who try to keep engaged with what the government is doing and what laws are being passed and policies and helping the church to think about them. Do you have anybody like that in PAG who is... No, we don't. We don't have that in PAG. Okay. We don't. But it, but it sounds like the, the other leaders are very involved. The bishops yes, we do. We are involved generally in what goes on with, uh, okay. you know, uh, issues concerning the nation. Okay. That's good. That's uh, interesting. Uh, helpful to think about. Let's look back at the denomination again. Uh, you've, you've been in this denomination for a long time and you have a lot of wisdom you can share both with North Americans who are listening because they can learn from PAG and also from maybe PAG members who will be listening to this. So what are some of the strengths you see of PAG, not just now but throughout history? What are some of the real strengths that other people can learn from PAG that you say this is what PAG has done well and then what are some of the weaknesses of PAG where you would like to see some growth? I think one of the things that PAG I have loved have grown in PAG largely. A lot, lots of my life has been in PAG. I've also seen different other denominations as well. But PAG tends to keep the church the church. You know, there is a there is a, 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 a grace that God has given us to make sure for everything we do, first church must be church. So church takes a priority in our lives. And we keep it church. So we filter the rest of the things we do through knowing this is the church. This is what it should be like. Mm -hmm. This is what Christ wanted it. It is the bride of Christ. And so we keep the bride the bride. And we keep it where it should be. And that's one of the things we struggle daily and to pass through our structures of leadership to ensure that the church is kept as a church. And I find that as the strength in PAG. Mm -hmm. Many people would think ah, PAG is really very strong. You are more strong uh, in terms of, you know, like you, you are closed. We are not closed. What the, the difference is we want to keep the church the church mm -hmm. so that we don't interfere. We don't let other things come and interfere with the church the way we perceive it from, from scriptures. So that's our strength. The other thing that become our strength over the years has been the interest we take in developing pastors. The interest in helping you understand your call. The interest in helping you understand that God is calling you into this ministry. And, um, and that has been a very big, big thing. And we've raised pastors and seen pastors that have stayed in the course rather than staying in the structures of the organization. Because mm -hmm. there's a difference between staying in the structures of the organization and enlisting people to the course. Because Jesus never raised his disciples to structures. He raised them to the course. Vision course. Very missional. Take this gospel mm -hmm. to the ends of the earth. Yeah. You know, raise, make disciples for me. That's a course. Mm -hmm. And rather than creating structures of those disciples, that's not what matters. Mm. And most people run into creating these structures. And I think, you know, 
America. In the Western world, you are good at making those structures and, you know, like you really need to be systematic. Who does this? Who does exactly, this? Yep. We do emphasize, first of all, the course. Mm. This is secondary, if not even number three. It doesn't mm. really matter. Mm. What matters is, are you enlisted on the course and are you doing the course? Are you working that course? Mm. Are you living that course? Do you believe that course? Will you pass that course mm. to others? That's what we do. So, that's been one of our greatest uh, strengths. And so then you couple with that is the, the capacity building of our pastors, mm. trying to encourage them. We do not have high, very many high-learned pastors. We have moderate pastors who have either been in senior four or senior two, or some of them have never even been to school. But so some those ones, so that becomes our real burden. And when I talk about the challenges, that's one of our challenges. Mm. But it's also a blessing in one way or the other because if we can give the capacity, and that's why we appreciate uh, your ministry coming to help us in um, the Timothy uh, School that has really been helping us, talking with some of your directors and trainers. They've been everywhere going down there to help those pastors. And they gave me a testimony and said every time they go back to the people they have already trained, they find a difference. I mean, and to me, that's what we have been longing and looking for. And so that's, that's, so that's part of our blessing as well. And it's a good advantage that we've been able to raise, uh, these pastors with us, pastoring those, uh, you know, six, six thousand churches. And then we structure those churches, as you know, into the assemblies. So we have over 2,000 assemblies, 3,000, two to 3,000 assemblies. And then we have those are our senior senior pastors. Mm -hmm. So we now that's that. So we begin our training and blessing from those levels, and then we go down, and then we can end up with the local people. So to me, those have been our very strong strong highlights. The third highlight that I think I have come to enjoy largely in the church and seen it going is a missional perspective. Mm. A church has become very out strong in outreach, strong out on missions. We've gone out into various places, and that's why, you know, churches have opened up all over the country. And it's because of the local church, believing in the missional aspect of a church, local church itself. Churches growing churches, churches mm -hmm. planting churches. And that has been very, very helpful for us to see that move. No church has stayed without bearing another, planting another church. Yeah, that's and, something I've, I've really yeah. admired. Yeah is that it looks like you don't wait for a professional evangelist to come, but no. it's the local church yes. planting another church. Yeah. You know how that changed? Originally, when we started, we had evangelists everywhere. Mm. So when I took up leadership, I realized that churches don't grow through evangelists. Churches grow churches. Mm. And so I twisted that route, and I said to all the evangelists, I say, back into the local church. Put your gift in. Mm. Don't put your gift on top of the church. Put your gift in. Mm. And then you move together with the church and mm. plant another church. That's the way to go. Mm. So you don't do the, the uh, on top evangelism rather than you do the in evangelism. Mm. You do the in outreach rather than the outreach, which you go out and the man on top of it is an evangelist. He's the one who does miracles. No, everybody in the church, God said to those who believe, you lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Mm. Everyone. So go in. And the gift is meant for the church. It's not meant out there. It's meant for the church. So if you bring it in here, it will grow the church. Mm -hmm. And the church, once it's grown, it will 
do what God wants it to do. So we change that philosophy. Yeah, that sounds really good. Let me pick up something you just said. You mentioned about the healing. Um, can you give a comment on the word Pentecostal in your in Pentecostal Assemblies of God? How is that a strength? What does that mean to you when you think about the Pentecostal aspect? What is what does that tell us? What are the, what are the strengths there? I think there are two two issues here. One is Pentecost, the thing, and Pentecost, the life. When you have Pentecost, the thing, or Pentecost, the organization, or Pentecost, the movement, I think I buy in into Pentecost, the life, which becomes the movement, mm. because it becomes the, the transformer. It's the transformed thing. It's not the name. The name becomes the shell, but the organic thing inside is what matters. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of Pentecost as, as Pentecostals, we're thinking about the organic life, the life of the Spirit in the church, mm -hmm. the functions of the Spirit in the church, mm -hmm. the role of that Spirit in rolling out the life of the church and life of each member. So that's where it is. To me, that's what my Pentecostal theology hangs on, mm -hmm. the Pentecost as life mm -hmm. rather than Pentecost as the organization. Yeah. Pentecost as a movement rather than Pentecost as a move, a monument. Mm. So two different things. The monument is the big shell. This is the star. No, it's the movement. You mm. come in and it's life. And that movement is very transformative. It is transitional. And it can move on again. And tomorrow it's greater. Tomorrow it is brighter. The next day it is bigger. So that's what, that's what happens. So that's my take in terms of that and i function from that level i i say we must be every gift that god gives us in the church mm. it is for function it's not for position mm. so when you become a pastor i'm not looking at you as a pastor by position i'm looking at you as a pastor by function mm. when i become the presiding bishop it's not because the chair i have which i sit on mm. it is my apostolic function we don't use the word apostles, but in a real sense, this is the apostolic function. Provide guidance, oversight, a future, opening, creating new ways, creating new fields, creating, raising new people. That's apostolic function. And that's what I do. So uh, as we think about, still, still on the strengths in the Pentecostal strength, being Pentecostal and, and the different beliefs and um, passions that Pentecostals have, how much of that would you attribute to the growth of PAG in Uganda? How much of it is because of those Pentecostal um, passions? The uniqueness of the I, I, Pentecostal I think, movement. Yeah, I think, I think what, what, what was it, because you see like, PAG is one of those earliest Pentecostal groups, what I always call the classic Pentecostals. Mm. So when you think of the classic Pentecostals, that's where PAG belongs. Mm. I think there are few or six or seven denominations in this country that belong to that classic movement or classic group. And um, so because, because of the classic we stick back into the functionality rather than into the positionality. 
most of uh, other groups deal with the positionality rather than functionality so uh, so we are unique in a sense that we fac we 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 are more functional than positional yeah, thank you very much for that uh, we were also talking about um, some of the weaknesses to look at uh, you had mentioned the need for pastors to be trained and that's an area that you're doing well in you have a passion to to do that were there other areas of growth that you wanted to identify so when the when the church is growing one of the things i'm faced with right now is the church has grown we have had leadership come up which is different from the leadership we had 40 or 30 years ago we have more of um you know an informed class of leaders trained men and women that have diversity of uh, dreams and visions it's going to be a challenge for the leadership at the apex of the organization to be able to harness this wealth of uh, um, committed but vibrant and vital leadership that has come very dynamic highly connected possibly even in diversity so you now are growing as a church but you are multiplying and create growing in relationships to a diversity of uh, people who have different ministries different pers persuasions and and uh, passions as well and so all of those people are coming in for example when the lord opened the door for you people to even to come in as resonate world renew tfn all of these big groups have different passions mm. so we're not working like we had before so we are now bringing in people with different you know passions and persuasions they're also coming in here how do you connect that to what you have mm -hmm. so that you are able to move together to produce what is better than tomorrow i think that's a big challenge mm -hmm. okay um, let's look at the wider challenges for the church in africa um, when i say the church i mean all the churches or we can narrow it to uganda if you want to look at the, the churches in uganda over the next 10 years as we look ahead what are some of the big challenges that will be facing churches in uganda or, or africa generally anthony the world has changed and the world has become one village the world is no longer living in um, brackets or small 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 communities like it lived many years ago what happens here like now we are talking here in less than 20 minutes or 10 minutes this broadcast will be out mm. this podcast will be out and the people listening to it will be in the us will be in china will be everywhere mm -hmm. that's the world we live in today is africa prepared at this level technologically to be able to rise to those technological challenges to other challenges where the rest of the world has shot up to mm. society is becoming a cashless society how are we going to rise up in the context of the church in africa to be able to serve into that cashless community which thinks very differently mm. education possibly is no longer going to be in those bigger universities it is going to be in your own bedroom with your own machines and the teacher is far away in china far away in the us and so that's a new world 
the church may no longer be in the co buildings that we have, like COVID pushed mm. us out away from that, and all of us were in our own rooms and in our own homes. So that's a transition. So is the church in Africa ready for such a life? And I trust that that's going to be the greatest challenge. Mm. Coupled with that, in Africa, we are still, we are more traditional. If we got a better thing today, we like to stay with it for the next years, many, many years. Mm. We're not quick to manage change, mm. but we're living in a world of change. And change is so constant, but also change is so instant. It is here now, in, by afternoon, can be another change. And by evening, so tomorrow we have totally different things. Are we able to move in that perspective? Lifestyles are changing so greatly in the whole entire world. How are we in the church in Africa going to manage this change of lives? Are we, how are we going to do it? Are we going to resist and fight or are we going to succumb to those changes? What's going to be our story? Mm -hmm. So I see so many change challenges for the church in Africa, maybe even the church in the entire world. Mm -hmm. There will be small pockets of people here and there that would say, no, 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 no. We're very conservative. We'll stay to where we have known before. And then there will be those who say, no, we move with those who move. Let's move. And so the world is entering into a new sphere of thinking, of doing, and of practice, and of knowledge that is completely different. I believe the only hope that the the church in Africa or Africa has is the word of God. Because the word of God, despite of all of our changes, the word of God will stay the same. Mm. And it will keep us the light. So I think I would adhere the church all over, whether in Africa or in the rest of the world. The one unchangeable thing is the word of God. Mm. And if we stay on the word of God, it will, it will steer us and lead us to a better place and to a better life that we all need that will be useful for everyone. Amen to that. Now, I think there will be PAG members listening to this later, and they've just heard you share about those challenges uh, that will be coming in the future. And you've said the most important thing is to stand fast on, on God's word. But is there anything else you would encourage them to do to prepare for those challenges that, that are coming down the road? One of the things that would be necessary is to have an open mind in the context of the word of God to be able to adapt. You see, everybody works with the principle of adaptability in order to help you to look at the new, the new that is coming. Mm. How do you work within the new? Because they need to be prepared to adjust, to adopt, to keep the word of God, but also to be able to navigate those things that are necessary for them. So I would appeal to them to be prepared for the seasons where they are going mm. and not to just stay in the history or in the conservatism that we have developed, even as the Pentecostals, but to be able to stay in the word of God, which will stay the same, but allows us to create, you know, the contextualization of times as well, mm -hmm. so that the seasons that we are entering into, we can still manage and be ministers of the gospel even at that time and be relevant to those generations that are coming. Mm -hmm. But it calls for a preparation. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, the world that, the schools that trained me can no longer help me today because their knowledge is completely gone. Mm -hmm. So we need to begin thinking of the past and to understand also the current. Mm. 
And as I said, only the word of God stays constant. So we, we but the situation, circumstances around us are changing. So I appeal to all our members and plus other members from different fellowships that we really have to uh, open up ourselves, prepare ourselves, but possess a mind that can help you adjust and adopt into what times we live in, but staying, you know, conservative to the word of God. That will help you to sail all through. Because God has made his word to go through those seasons. He knew it and his word will stand. And it has stood for the centuries that we have left behind. And so it will still stay for the centuries that come. It is now up to us to adopt and to be able to move on with that. And so there needs to be a preparedness and a readiness to be able to do that. Okay. That, that's very encouraging. Let's let's continue looking at some of the positive things. In the next 10 years, looking at PAG Uganda, what are some of the opportunities for PAG in the next 10 years in terms of spiritual growth, maturity, uh, expansion, mission, development? Uh, 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 there is quite a lot of opportunity for PAG and um, the doors of all communities in Uganda are very open, but not only Uganda. The doors for opportunity for service even beyond Uganda are very open. Mm. We, from the Pentecostal Assemblies of Africa, I don't know whether you know that we have that. So we're beginning to focus into opportunities that are open in the different parts of the world. Mm. North Africa is very open for the gospel, mm. absolutely. And we are focusing on seeing how do we work with this to get up there. Mm. Through our Pentecostal Assemblies of Africa, we've bonded our works all over through the continent. So we work now like a team in the continent. And that's how we opened the church in Kigali. That's how we opened the church in Burundi. That's how we're our opening the church. We're moving into uh, Mozambique, not Mozambique. We're moving to open a church in, North, in West Africa, in Burkina Faso, different countries we've targeted. We've even moving into the Middle East to be able to put ministry there. But that we are now doing from our Pentecostal Assemblies of Africa, which PAG is a key, yeah. a key in it. Because I've been, I've, I've, I'm still the, the uh, Secretary General for that association. Mm. And uh, so we have, what, what an opportunity. Mm. What an opportunity. We cannot s stay within the shadows of Uganda. Mm -hmm. The opportunity that PAG has is go beyond. So do you see PAG Uganda sending out missionaries to North that's, Africa? That is our, that's our great, great mm. work. That's our great work. That's our great desire. So that's a huge opportunity that we have yeah. to go out beyond. You know, like, and so because we have a network that helps us to do that. Mm -hmm. Just about, about, um, 13th of last month in December last year, we now formed what we call a mission, a missional task force which entails all of these churches across mm -hmm. the country. And we did it here in Kampala. I hosted that meeting. Mm. So, so these are huge, huge opportunities. Yeah. Secondly, PAG has opportunities. Opportunities for urban ministry. Mm. It's huge in this country. Cities are beginning to rise up. Yeah. So we must transition from a rural mindset that we've had for many years. Yes, we still have rural communities. We will minister and explode in those rural communities. 
but the opportunities of new cities rising up, bringing in a new culture and caliber of people. Mm. What an opportunity. Yeah. What an opportunity. And what preparations we need to begin working mm. towards seeing more urban churches. So we need to have urban pastors. We need to do ministry differently mm. than what we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing. So what an opportunity for, 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 for PAG. And I also see that there are many other opportunities for PAG to influence Uganda. Mm. There are lots of opportunities, lots of opportunities. We have more young believers in church that are working in police, that are working in the army, that are working in hospitals. We have doctors that are working in our major hospitals. They are members of our church. Mm. What an opportunity for us to influence and bring transformation into those institutions. Focusing and specifically looking at the marketplace mm -hmm. ministry. Mm -hmm. What an opportunity for PAG to build that marketplace mm -hmm. ministry. So it's huge. Mm -hmm. It's huge. And to me, that's what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Urban, marketplace, and external mm -hmm. ministry. So those are, for me, those are three major opportunities for, for the Pentecostal Assemblies of God. Here. I love that. I love that mission mindset. I would love to see PAG sending out those missionaries to yes. other countries. It'll just be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, I think we have to come to a close. I just have two questions left, um, just as the kind of concluding questions. One is for PAG members who might be listening, and the other will be for North Americans who might be listening. For the PAG members who are listening, what encouragement do you have to share with them for this new year? We just started 2024. And hopefully some of them will listen to this recording. What would you like to share with them to uh, get them ready for this year? Yesterday, I was talking in a church. And I talked about the life of uh, a man, a commander called Achan in Joshua chapter 7. Hmm. And, and they had just broken into a new space. Mm -hmm. And they had just conquered Jericho. That's a new space altogether. God had given them. And God said the the because Jericho was the first time for them, place for them to get into, it would not belong to any of them. It would belong to the Lord. And so he called upon them to treasure that, to put everything they had in the treasure of the Lord. And then the first fruits belonged to God. And I shared from that and I shared the life of obedience because Achan never obeyed his commander, but also never obeyed God. So the success for the church in, in this year, and I've listened to the uh, messages on the crossover on the first, mm. and you know, there are all these promises we pastors make to people. And I said, well, those promises are good and they may be what they are. The greatest thing for us to realize that when we're opening the year becomes the Lord's day, the Lord's thing. The preeminence for God in our lives in every year is great. So I would say to members of the Pentecostal Assemblies of God, it's not about the achievements. It's not about the successes. It's not about how many churches we plant this year. It's about the preeminence of God in us. If that is missed, because that's the source that rolls out a number of things, those are the things we'll follow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and the rest of the things shall follow. So we don't want to go for material things as a preeminence. But we want to give God the preeminence 
We want to give his kingdom the preeminence. We want to give his kingdom first place in our lives, yeah. first place in our things, first place in our desires. If that would be the thing we would do, the rest will follow. Mm. Let's, let's not go for byproducts. Let's go for the real essence, the essence of things. And this is God. So for me, anything that I direct everybody for 2024, first to God. Mm. Give him the priority. And let's submit in obedience to what he asks us to do in the course of 2024. Mm -hmm. At every stage, listen to God and obey him. Samuel said to Saul, obedience is better than any sacrifice. Mm. Better. What you've done is good, but it's not the thing. The thing is obedience. Mm. The thing is the preeminence of God, the preeminence of his instructions, the preeminence of his word, the preeminence of his guidelines for our lives. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. The rest are byproducts. Mm -hmm. They will follow. Whether by force of attraction or by force of creation. That's God's side. My side is give God the preeminence. Mm -hmm. So in 2024, can we go in that line? Let God have his way. Let this year be the year of the Lord. Let it this year be a year where God reigns in our hearts, reigns in things we do. Give him the preeminence. Put your hand off. Let God put his hand on. Yeah. I like that. It's, yeah. a lot, it's a lot better to me than just saying, expect that this year is going to be good and prosperous. No. Now let's put our focus no. on giving God glory and obeying him. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Now, we also have North Americans listening. This is the last question. Um, I know this might be a little difficult to say, but you've had interactions with with North American churches in your in your ministry. You have many partners and so forth, and you've been to the U.S. Uh, what what are some things that North American churches can learn from PAG? Do you think? And I know that it might sound proud to, to say, but I think it's important because there are people listening who want to learn from churches here in Africa. So, what can they learn from Pentecostal churches? In Uganda, I think the we appreciate first of all the church in um, North America and many other missionary countries that sent their people here. You taught us so many things. We've learned lots from you, but I think one of the things we like you to share with you is making the church the church and never devalue it. Because I think one of the things that is happening in the Western world is the church is losing its face. It's ugly now. Mm. It doesn't seem to be have an attractive face. While in Africa, the church has an attractive face. It's still awesome. It's still beautiful. It's something we believe it is. It is real. It's real than the rest of the life we have here. Mm. How can North America be able to look back and value the church? And give the church the preeminence it requires within the context of their culture. Whatever you are living in, give the church the preeminence to be the voice. The voice that helps your life navigate in the season you have. We, we have little life. We have 100 years. We have 80 years. We have 110 if God needs, but sometimes less. How will the church play a role in your personal life? How can the church come back into our homes, into our families. Well, one of the things that the church has done here is to stay into the family. 
the context of the family, valuing the family the way God had created the family. How can North America keep the church in the home and the message of the church reshape your life, reshape the life of the church? And to the extent that when you look at your home and you look at your church, they're more or less the same. So for me, it's, it's, it's that would be the thing. And we're not in Africa, we may not be that this is perfectly there, but that's how we are building it. We want to make sure that the church and the family are knit together. They're institutions that God made originally, and we like to keep those institutions together the way God would want them to do. Mm -hmm. When we keep the church together, when we keep the family with the church together, then we have a, prop a proper development and proper prosperity. Otherwise, without the church and without the family being together, then they work against each other. Then the nation does not have proper prosperity. The prosperity becomes a deadly one and kills the culture of the people, which is a value that God has given both the church and the family. So we look forward to North America and many other Western you know, communities to think through on the role of the church in their personal lives, in their personal families, and how can that work together to bring a new day and give us a nation that will prosper in God's view and God's presence. Great. Thank you very much. I think that's all my questions. If you have any last thing you wanted to share, I'll still give you a chance for that. Uh, otherwise, thank you very much for your time and Letting me have this interview with you. Well, for me, I think it's a privilege. Thank you so much for providing this opportunity because you have given me opportunity to, for my voice to be heard. Mm. And the voice of the church, the voice of the gospel from Africa to be heard across. Mm. And I trust that it will make the best use of our hearers yes. and, and be a blessing to them. Great. God bless. God bless you too. Thank you.